Kazakhstan, and welcome to Behind the Lights with me, Seb. And me, Jana. As always, we pay respect to the traditional custodians of the lands we are coming from, the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation. On to another busy sporting weekend and week as usual, Jono. And we'll start with football. And the Women's Euro 2022 has kicked off. Um, and some big results in the first round of group stage matches. Uh, Sweden and Holland drew 1-1 in their uh, Group C clash. So some two big heavyweights uh, clashing early on. Germany looked good with their 4-0 win over Denmark. Hosts England had a scratchy but uh, an important win over Austria 1-0 in the opening game. While uh, the French, all that internal... Uh, bickering that sort of led up to this tournament, they certainly uh, blew that away, beating your Italians, Jono, 5-1 in their first game uh, in their group. But um, some good good football early on, Jono, and some of the big uh, guns putting uh, an early marker down. Yeah, it's been a, it's been great so far. A lot of goals, actually, so far in this year's as well. Um, and also, it, you know, it hasn't always gone to plan, let's say, for a lot of the big teams as well. Um, a lot of them have kind of scraped back and not, not necessarily got off to the cleanest of play. Um, as you said, I think the biggest result out of the bunch as well was France really coming to to um, to show their dominance um, and then so forth from there. I think that was a big result as well for your Sweden, who you're backing as well to get that against the Netherlands, the two heavyweights there in that group. Um, so it's going to be interesting, but it's just going to be who plays the cleanest style of football moving forward. Spain also had a good first up win, 4-1 over Finland, considering they've lost a couple of their big yeah, players yeah. on the eve of the tournament. So good for Spain to get off to a, a good start. Uh, by the time this podcast goes there, we would have uh, match day two would have got underway in a big clash: England, Norway, Jono, uh, Australian morning, Australian Tuesday morning time. Um, this will be a test for England. Norway uh, have got a few of their big guns back, um, former World Player of the Years and, and whatnot in that squad. So uh, the English will be tested. Yeah, 100%. I think that, you know, realistically, the expectations for England to really take this out in terms of what's got, what they got into with this tournament with in terms of expectations of potentially winning it. But that just gives even more firepower to to Norway, essentially, to, to be able to take this out. So I really, I, I'd back them in this. I think that, you know, it's, it's they have that opportunity as well, England, to kind of figure things out in the group stage. So I'm going to say that they might get taken advantage of here um, by the Norwegians and take this home. Also, Germany take on Spain in round big, big two one. as well. So that's another big clash in the Euros. Football transfers, Jono and a couple more have been confirmed over the week. Paul Pogba finally made his long-awaited return to Juventus from Manchester United. He was greeted with a lot of fanfare and excitement. And he looks happy to be back in Turin. So hopefully for Juventus's sake, he, uh, he can deliver some of the form that he showed before he went Back to Manchester United. Another one for Juve, Angel Di Maria on a one-year deal from PSG. So some experience and maybe, Jono, maybe a little bit left in the legs there for Angel Di Maria. I know it's been such a fantastic player for mm. Argentina and, and especially PSG over the last few years. So we'll see what he can be on offer. One that could be possibly going the other way, Matthias De Litt, the Dutch centre-back. Juventus to possibly Chelsea or Bayern Munich. Bayern Munich are the ones looking most interested at the moment. And it seems like... If you believe reports, that's where he wants to go. Uh, but it's interesting to see if Juventus also want to let him go. They know there's a change in the guard there. Kalini's already left to LA. So do they really want to let go of one of their most promising centre-backs yep. uh, in that position? Rahim Sterling at Manchester City to Chelsea. Looks like it's pretty yeah. much a done deal there, Jono. But um, some big uh, moves in the transfer window again this week. Yeah, definitely. And, and again, I'm still going to go back to that Sterling move. I don't... I don't know how it's all going to shake out and how it's all going to fit because, like I said, I think that you know there's a lot of players that are similar to Sterling, if not maybe some better finishers as well on that team. But um, it's going to be interesting. And then, 
Yeah, seeing what Bayern Munich does in this offseason, as I said, I think it really hinges on a couple deals for them to kind of fall suit, and then from there they might be able to make some big moves. So I think it's all kind of chatter for them until that Lewandowski kind of gets unloaded there as well. Yeah, certainly some still some big moves to happen in the football transfer world. Rugby League and NRL is round 17 this weekend. A short round due to State of Origin Game 3 this week. The Sharks recorded a good win over Melbourne, 28 points to 6, while South Sydney defeated Newcastle 40 to 28, and Parramatta held off a fast-finishing West Tigers 28 to 20, while on Sunday, Brisbane also recorded a convincing win over St George, 32 points to 18, meaning... Penrith stay top, followed by the Cowboys now in second, Storm and the Sharks, while Manly have moved into the eight after St. George's loss, and obviously Manly getting those two points for the bye. So uh, NRL, round 17 again, throwing up some intriguing results. AFL, and it was round 17, and some big guns upset, while a new team has also taken first spot. So Geelong down Melbourne in the top of the table clash Thursday night, 91-63. to While Sydney had a good win over the Western Bulldogs, 120-67. to While North Melbourne nearly caused the probably the boil over of the year. They nearly defeated Collingwood, but Collingwood finished off a little bit stronger to defeat them 88-81. to While Gold Coast won a thriller against Richmond, 94-92, to kicking a goal after the siren to win it there. And Essendon won their second game on the trot as they upset Brisbane, 100 points to 90, meaning Geelong now sit top followed by Melbourne, Fremantle, and Brisbane. Sydney are sitting in seventh, but they only are only a game outside the top four. So very time the AFL, Jono, and um, a couple of upsets throwing a, throw a few of the big boys um, being upset on this weekend. Yeah, this, this weekend had a bit of upsets there as well. And as you said, this top of the table now is super, super tight. I mean, you even look at Sydney has some chances to, to make that kind of top four finish as well. Um, but that top there, it's very top-heavy at this point and very, very tight. So every week really counts. And as you said, there could have been even some more upsets as well that could have happened as well over the weekend. So be really interesting to see going into the next week of play. Yeah, great to see, um, great to see where the AFL is at and how tight it is, especially for those uh, top eight spots. F1 was the Austrian GP this weekend, and Ferrari driver Charles Leclerc took it out. Uh, he was followed by Red Bull's Max Verstappen and Mercedes driver Lewis Hamilton. Max Verstappen continues to lead the driver's championship, 38 points ahead of second place Charles Leclerc, while Sergio Perez sits a further 19 points back in third. Rugby and England defeated Australia in the second test at Suncorp Stadium in Brisbane, 25 points to 17 to level the three-match series 1-1. We now go to a decider at the SCG in Sydney this weekend, which should be great. Um, and some other big rugby news, Ireland defeated New Zealand 23 points to 12 in Dunedin, so a massive upset there, while Wales defeated South Africa 13 points to 12. Cricket, Jono and Sri Lanka have... Uh, Certainly turned the form books around in this second test against Australia. Australia made 364 all out. Smith and Labashe both made hundreds. But Sri Lanka have just been bowled out for 554. Chandamal made a magnificent double century. So Australia, a lot of work to be done in that second innings. Day four, um, 190 runs now behind the Sri Lankans. And uh, they'll do well to save that test. But uh, credit to the Sri Lankans. They've... Uh, come back and, and really fought back in that second test, John, after being blown away in that first test. Yeah, now it's a it's a bit of an uphill battle there now for the Australians. But yeah, as you said, credit credit due where credit deserves as well. I mean, being able to come out with such a big performance as well and having so many players be so sensational and hitting as well. So we'll see what happens now on the next day. 
Tour de France and Dutch rider Bob Jungles won stage nine with Slovenian rider Taj Pogacar holding the yellow jersey, while Belgian Wout van Aert holding onto the green jersey. So always a fantastic event there, the Tour de France, and um, now well into it, and we'll see how that progresses. Well, Jono, as we mentioned at the top of the show, State of Origin Game 3 this Wednesday night, Australian time. It's the decider in Queensland at Suncorp Stadium. It's a sellout. Mm. So there'll be over 50,000 Queenslanders there uh, roaring the Maroons on. Massive news, though, for the Queenslanders. Cameron Munster and Murray Tolua guy to miss Game 3 due to a positive COVID test. So we've seen COVID run rampant again, Jono. Tom Dearden and Corey Oates have come into the squad to replace them. Uh, before we look at New South Wales, how big a loss do you think this is for Queensland, especially Cameron Munster, who has made a career on, on producing in these big yeah. games, and we, and we know how much of an inspiration he is for his teammates and how much he can lift them around. Yeah, I mean, I think this is this is this is huge here for Queensland. I mean, you look at what performance he was able to put in in Game One in particular. Yes, maybe Game Two didn't necessarily replicate that so much, but. Um, overall, what he does for this team is huge, and to to have him as well this close and for something like this as well, I think that's just devastating for the squad. So I think now it's going to come into a bit of a morale thing as well. I mean, it's going to be where now this whole team is a bit devastated, fans are a little bit devastated, but now it's how can we take that and how can we boost the energy throughout? Because again, you have a huge advantage being played in Queensland. I think that is massive, massive. We've seen what they've been able to do, even with the dominance of New South Wales in the past years, but there's something different about playing there. Yes, maybe... You know, the star of this series in terms for Queensland isn't going to be able to be there. But now it's how can you rally, realistically? How can you rally and get this? But on the field, it is going to be such a huge blow for them because it's just been incredible what he's been able to do. Um, but it's going to be it's going to come down to how much do they really want this. Yeah, we saw his class, especially in that first game when they upset the Blues in New South Wales. It kept a little bit quieter in the second game yeah. when New South Wales dominated, but he's certainly going to be a massive miss. And... And huge expectation and pressure now on Tom Dearden. Uh, coming in from the Cowboys, he's had a great year up there at North Queensland, but stepping into the Origin yeah. arena is, is a different pressure again. The rumour is that he will start at number six, so he will take that Cameron Munster position. But I guess the other option Queensland do have is, is pushing Ben Hunt into that number six, so taking him out of number nine and starting Dearden off the bench, possibly. Um, you can start Harry Grant at number nine and maybe take the pressure off him. But um, a massive occasion for him, Jono, and for any, I guess, young aspiring mm. football, this is this is what you do play for. But uh, it's going to be huge there on Wednesday night and and huge. If, if he can steer this Queensland team to victory, that'll be one of the great Queensland victories in origin history. Yeah, and I mean, it's it would almost be as well very um, telling of this series too because we talked about the beginning of the series Essentially, this this new Queensland team that has so many young faces coming up, has so many so many new de, uh, debutants as well. So, if, if anything, it would almost it would almost be the tale of this series as well for Queensland in particular. If they're able to do that, you know, oh, you had your stars carry you maybe in game one, game two, and now you're relying on that that new talent as well, really coming through. So, huge opportunity as well if you think about it for players to really step up in these moments because you're so much reliant sometimes on these stars so really really big opportunity but it is definitely going to be an uphill battle for Queensland and we know Queensland love adversity they they've had some of the most impressive uh, victories when everything's been counted against them so it'll be interesting to see how they perform I'm sure Billy Slater and his coaching staff will have them up for it on Wednesday night 
New South Wales have actually have faced their own drama, though, uh, in the lead-up to Game 3. Unfortunate news for Jordan McLean. He would have made his debut on Wednesday night, the North Queensland Cowboy uh, player was ruled out due to a hamstring injury. He actually came in to replace Payne Haas, who had already been ruled out. Um, so Jacob Saifidi has been called into the squad from the Newcastle Knights. But really hard luck there, Jono, for Jordan McLean. We saw him uh, in the interview when he when he had to announce his, his uh, I guess, his injury and, and his inability to play, his, his emotion there. So uh, always tough to see uh, a person who's battled injuries throughout his career, always been highly rated, and to get his opportunity to be teared away like that, uh, not great to see, but hopefully... Um, New South Wales will, will be inspired by that and obviously Jacob Saifidi comes in and he's done it before and hopefully he can do it again for New South Wales at this level. Yeah, as you said, it, it has to be devastating for any player. Any any sort of injury is really devastating but when it comes, in particular, you know, a big call-up like this, I mean, these kinds of matchups are the ones that a lot of players, they, this is this is what made them fall in love with the game um, is these types of matchups. So, you know, it's it's really disappointing and as you said, battling with a career full of injuries as well is is, is one thing. And then thinking that you're going to finally get some time on the pitch as well and then getting that pull, that that final blow where it's another injury. That's just heartbreaking, but we just will see how how he kind of can continue and bounce back from this next time. I guess the other question that's coming out of this week, Jono, is the talk of the bubble returning to sport or, or does sport need to enter another bubble to to obviously try and avoid these COVID uh, issues and players having to pull out due to COVID, uh, due to contracting COVID, and especially with this new variant sort of coming into society now. What do you think about the idea of sport having to enter a bubble? I don't think any of us would like to see it, uh, but do you think also around possibly finals time, talking AFL and NRL, do you think clubs even may just enter their own bubble to try and keep their players safe? Could you could imagine losing one of your stars on, yeah. say, grand final eve due to COVID would be a massive disaster. Yeah, I mean, I, th- I think that's right. I think it would maybe not necessarily be the bubble that we saw with fans not necessarily being there or something along those lines, but it could be some sort of an in-club bubble, things like that, really limiting their players, at least during season or especially during finals time, as to how much um, they can go out and about within the community. Um, and as you said, I mean, this is this has been an ongoing issue all year. Um, we saw it, you know, across the globe, whether it's in the NBA, um, Premier League, here domestically as well in Australia. Um, it's it's affecting in all different ways. So I don't necessarily see us going back into that hard bubble that we saw maybe once a couple of years ago. But I I agree, it might be something that clubs start really looking at individually because it's it could be a massive blow. Um, to any team when in particular your stars or your starters then all of a sudden contract COVID and then they're out and quite frankly you know you you could lose a lot of momentum you know it's it's not even that also that player a week off of training hard training with your team can actually do a lot to you as well physically too Um, and if you are actually very sick as well you could have some long-term effects from everything so there's a lot of things a lot of domino effects that could really affect you from a sporting perspective so it might be a good idea for these clubs to start thinking about this, especially as you go into finals times. You might be able to risk it in the regular season. You lose a game or so. Okay, that's fine. But when it comes down to those deciders, you, you might have to start being a little bit careful. And it could be the reality that we move into um, as these new variants come around is, is those clubs need to tighten in. Like I said, I don't think we're going to see the scrapping of fans again, but we could see if the players individually need to, to kind of uh, bind together a little bit more. Yeah, as we know, COVID is just part of, life now and we're having to learn to live with it and, and unfortunately that does mean that people will still 
get it. But as you said, it will be interesting to see what the clubs do decide as as we need finals stage, whether they have their own little micro bubbles for their players just to try and protect them as much as they can to make sure they can be at full strength, uh, especially for those end-of-season games. So it's going to be a question that will bubble, will bubble on. Obviously, it's, it's risen its head again, unfortunately, uh, this week in Origin. We're, we're not going to be able to see. Even as a New South Wales fan, it's always great to see the best players playing for both states. And you want to see the Cameron Munsters out mm. there for Queensland yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, in these contests. So unfortunately... He won't be there, but also a great opportunity for young Tom Dearden uh, coming in and um, hopefully New South Wales win, but I also wish him all the best in regards to, to his debut there. Jono, the other big story this weekend was Wimbledon uh, coming to the end, both the women's and men's singles finals, as well as uh, some great news for Australians in the men's doubles finals. Uh, we'll start with some of the results before we go into some of the... Uh, I guess controversies and, and biggest talking points that have come out of Wimbledon. So in the women's singles final, Elena Rebekani from Kazakhstan upset Ons Jabor from Tunisia, the third seed, 3-6, 6-2, 6-2 to win her first Grand Slam title. So uh, she was uh, she was blasted off the court in the first set, but really came strong in those last two sets and, and deserved her victory against Ons Jabor. While in the Australian, while in the doubles, the Australian doubles combination of Matthew Ebden and Max Purcell defeated Nikolo Mekatech and Mateja Pavic 7-6-6-7-4-6-6-4-7-6. That were the first Australian men's doubles combination to win at Wimbledon in 22 years. So great news for them and, and uh, a great result for Australian tennis there in the doubles. Well, I guess the big one to finish Wimbledon off was the men's singles final, Jono. Plenty of talk around this one. Novak Djokovic versus King Nick Kyrgios. Um, we've obviously seen the controversy that Kyrgios has carried throughout this tournament, as well as, unfortunately, that, that allegation of, of against his ex-girlfriend, which, which will happen later in the year in Canberra. That's obviously been bubbling away in the background. Uh, but Djokovic... Proved a little bit too strong for Kyrgios to win his 21st Grand Slam. Go one behind Rafael Nadal, one ahead of Roger Federer now, and his seventh Wimbledon. Quite incredible record there. He won in four sets, 4-6, 6-3, 6-4, 7-6. Before we get into a bit more specifics, I guess, around the controversies around this week, Jono, and some of the biggest talking points, what did you make of the finals? Um, I guess both the women's and the men's, and obviously a great win, a great moment for the Australian doubles pair of Ebden and Purcell. Um, yeah, what did you make of the final? Did you, did you think they were a good ending to what's been a, a certainly a, an interesting and ent- entertaining tournament? Yeah, definitely. I think, I think um, you know, kind of starting even on the women's side, it, it's good to continue to get some fresh faces in women's tennis. I think I'm still just waiting for to, to see that moment where we get that dominant dominant number one. I think we've had some glimpses of that um, in terms of just dominant performances um, within within the different grandstands. Well, I guess Swartek was the one that was tipped. She was on that yeah. massive win streak and uh, and that got broken this, it, this no, Wimbledon. Ex- exactly. So, I mean, look, it's great to see that as well. Um, in the doubles, as you said, great to see an Australian pair kind of take that throw. Um, in particular, kind of, you know, that's, that's quite a long uh, stent of not being, you know, um, in there in the Wimbledon finals. And then also, of course, I mean, I think it really did top it off in terms of the two battling out for the men's. I mean, it's just almost two very controversial athletes in that sense, um, battling head to head. And it just made it made the build up very entertaining as well as the actual match as well. So for tennis fans, you know, I think it was it just drew in probably a lot more casual viewers, things along those lines, really taking taking a little eye to this. Um, 
But I mean, overall, I think it, I think it was a great tournament for for a tournament that had its ups and downs, um, had all everything kind of surrounding it at the beginning as well. I think overall it was a, it was a good end to to a great tournament. Looking at Djokovic first, taking away obviously the controversy around his vaccination status, which saw him obviously unable to compete at the Australian Open. There was concerns around the U.S. Open, but I think he now will be allowed to play there. How big a victory do you think this is for him in his career, and considering? Um, I guess the pressure he's been under and, and I guess um, the controversy that he has caused by not stating his vaccination status. In terms of pure tennis, how big is it, do you think, for him to get back uh, winning Grand Slams this year, uh, considering the year he's had where he hasn't played as much as he would usually? Yeah, look, just purely from a tennis perspective, I think this was really big for him. I think it was big for him to just kind of stamp his authority, essentially, to show that realistically he is the out and out world number one right now and he showed why um from a tennis perspective as well i think it was also that opportunity for him just to to show hey look if i would have been involved in all these majors then you know what this is this is what i'm capable of doing um look he is a fantastic tennis player i mean there's there's no doubt about that i mean his look at his record phenomenal athlete. um yeah and, and what he's able to do as well is he's always able to crawl back in, in any situation you really can't count him out whereas you know, even some others that, that have always held that number one spot or the greats of, you know, Nadal and Federer, there's something different when Djokovic is down that you know that, you know, you know it, it, in, until that final point is won, you're not going to count him out. But, um, and I think he really showed that as well. And I should, and I think he showed, you know, that sense of, he looked really young and fresh in that sense too. You know, he, he did show that he has a lot longer um, left and that he's going to keep producing at this level as well. Yeah, what I think he showed last night was a huge sense of maturity. Because mm. Kyrgios played some great tennis, especially yeah, in that yeah. first set. I actually think Kyrgios played a good game yesterday. Yep. But what I think the big difference was was the consistency of Djokovic and his ability to play at such a level for such a long time in a game. Kyrgios wasn't able to keep at that level um, for the whole four sets, which is probably where the difference was. And, and Djokovic is just able, as you said, to to come back from positions where you think he might be looking like he's out or mm. uh, he might be getting a little bit frustrated, but he's able to sort of, I guess he's got that inner strength which is built through success and, and him knowing, having such confidence in his own game. I think that's what really came out yesterday. So he's certainly a deserved champion. You, you cannot deny that. Regardless of what you think of some of his off-the-court um, antics in, in regards to this, obviously his COVID uh, vaccination status and, and etc. But he, as you said, he's he truly is a great player and he will go down as one of the greats at the end of his career whenever that is because he isn't looking like he's he's going to be ending anytime soon he looks fresh as you said he looks fit his body's really holding up well so i'm sure he's got many more grand slams in him looking at the other side of the net Jono, Kyrgios, you love him you hate him you i don't know you, he's he's a divisive character and yeah. he certainly divides supporters, fans, tennis players, etc., etc. We saw a little bit of a bromance between Djokovic and Kyrgios uh, developing all of a sudden. But what have you made of, of his two weeks? We've seen the good, the bad, and the ugly from, from Kyrgios. And do you think the way he plays tennis and the way he the way he entertains, do you think it's, it's good for the sport? Or do you think it's a negative blight on him and... and I guess, the sport that he plays. Yeah, you know, Kyrgios is a hard one. Um, but I do think, if anything, what 
this finals matchup did show us is that um, he really does have the potential to be great. And with maybe a bit more on the court maturity and, and off off the court as well, clearly, um, he potentially could be that great player. Um, he reminds me very much in from a football perspective of Mario Botticelli as well, that, you know, surrounded by all these kind of controversies, how great natural talent he is and everything, but he just almost got consumed by everything and, and just let, let things consume him. Made it to a great level, but also fell off because everything that's happening behind the scenes and everything. And it would be really unfortunate for this to happen to Kyrgios. Now, Kyrgios has been around for a while as well. Oh, he's 27 now. Yeah, so he's, it, it's not that he's necessarily this bright, young, fresh talent. He has been around. And it, in some ways, it could have been his almost his ego or his off the court and, and everything that surrounds him, the controversy that surrounds him, that has not allowed him to be, be at many finals. So, so not everyone really does know so much of Kyrgios, except for us maybe here in Australia. But he really did show his ability. And then... It would be really great to see him actually just hit his stride and, and not let things that happen on the court affect him, not let everything that happens on the outside as well get in the way, to just to be there to play the game. Because, I mean, look, he was able to take that first set almost with ease at, at, at a point. And yes, Djokovic hit another gear and everything like that, and that might be the difference. But um, it would be great to actually just see him, as now you said, he's 27 years old, he's a bit older in his career, just hit that maturity, and even if it's just a solid next five couple years or so, that he actually then starts being a regular name up there in the finals, semifinals, quarterfinals, whatever it is, we get to see him on a regular basis because, look, I'd love to see that serve every single week. I mean, he has a wicked serve, um, but it just comes with that maturity, though, game in and game out, and I don't know if it's I don't know if it's there right now, and that's what maybe I think divides people as well. It's because they all everyone sees it, and I think that's what angers so many people as well. Is that all they know is that with a little bit of maturity, he'd be able to be so great. But unfortunately, he's let he lets these things get in the way. And tennis has seen characters similar to Kyrgios in regards to emotional characters. John McEnroe probably yeah, being yeah. the best example, but the difference was John McEnroe won. He won multiple Grand Slams. He was a winner. Kyrgios hasn't converted hasn't converted that into Grand Slam wins. This was his first Grand Slam final. So I guess that's the other aspect of Kyrgios is, yes, there's he's been talked of when he was very young that he was this you know young talent, great player, great talent, potential to win Grand Slams, potential to be a top 10 player. But for whatever reason, and he has admitted too that that his immaturity definitely cost him when he was a little bit younger and he probably missed his window to, to potentially win a Grand Slam in, in that window. But I think emotion is, is important at the top level. I don't think emotion is a bad thing, but how you tailor that emotion and, and where you generate that emotion into, into a positive energy is important. I think that's what the big difference, again, what we saw with Djokovic is even when he gets frustrated, the way he's able to tailor that energy into a positivity which yep. doesn't affect his game. Yep. It feels like with Kyrgios, you saw him yelling at his box, he yells at the key. It seems like at times it really does affect yep. his game yep. from an emotional standpoint. And that's a you don't want to take completely take it away because I think that's part of the appeal of Kyrgios. He is different to the other players okay. and, and he's not a robot. He so he talks his mind which at times gets him in a bit of trouble and yeah. sometimes he probably should think about what he says at times. But I also don't think he I don't think I don't want to see Kyrgios just boxed up and and just giving you know the standard answers and, and sort of not seeing that emotion because that's part of his game 
But I think what he needs to work on is how can he tailor that emotion into an energy that's positive for his game where he doesn't fall off and his game all of a sudden just falls apart. How is he able to keep a consistency, especially against these top players? Mm. You get away with it against some of the, the lesser-ranked players because his talent yeah. yep. sees it in the end. And we've seen it at Wimbledon this year that his talent was, was able to win out. But against the very best, you need more than talent. Yep. It, it's, a, it's a whole mentality. So... I guess congratulations to Nick for making the finals. Great to see an Australian male in the final. It's been a while since since we've seen that. Obviously, we had the success of Ash Barty in the ladies, but we haven't had a male finalist in a long time. Uh, so congratulations to him. Congratulations to Novak Djokovic. And as I said, I think he's a Nick will constantly be talked about at each Grand Slam. He's a person that will constantly be divisive, but maybe tennis does need a character like him in tennis, whether or not you always agree with his actions. And I don't always agree with his actions, and I think he, he has, probably has thrown away some of his talent. Like you said with Mario Balotelli, I thought that was a great example in terms of a young, talented man, but not quite being able to get that mental yeah. side yeah. together. Uh, so we'll see what happens in the US Open. Maybe we'll have another great run there, and um, hopefully we'll see him near another Grand Slam final sooner rather than later. But uh, a great tournament as always, Wimbledon, and it was... Um, Always amazing to watch some great tennis on the grass courts there. Well, Jono, I think you got the questions this week. Yep, you Five ready? quick questions. Let's go, mate. Sticking on with uh, Wimbledon. Um, so it's officially over. We know that Federer loves this event. He was not there. Do you think that it's time that he's just going to announce his official retirement? You never say never, but I'm going to say we are not going to see Federer again. Yeah. I think he's. I think he could be gone. I it just think, seems yeah. like he can't get over these injuries. It's been. I think this Wimbledon would have been his farewell, even if he just what, he'll a couple be matches. Forty next year, or yeah. he'd be. He's a little bit older than Rafa, so he's. I just. I just feel like Federer's body's probably calling time. Unfortunately. Yeah. But phenomenal player, oh. phenomenal career. He's done everything. Yeah. There's nothing more for him to prove. No, definitely not. Um, over the weekend in the MLS. We had El Trafico, so LA Galaxy versus LAFC. So LAFC did win 3-2. They're on top of the West. Um, they're pretty much one of the best teams in the MLS right now. Do you see them pretty much a lock to win once they add Bale and Chiellini to their squad? On paper, they've certainly got probably the strongest squad in the MLS. Yeah. Yeah. But a lot of things have also got to go your way in the MLS to win an MLS Cup. And I think for them to truly be the kings of LA, not even just the kings of yeah, the MLS, yeah. they need to win one. I still yeah. think LA Galaxy are the bigger club yeah. because they have won it. LAFC need to win silverware to cement themselves as a real giant of, of the MLS competition. But there's probably no better year than this year. Yeah, And you never know, though, with Bell. You know, there's a lot of golf courses in LA, so you never know. But the other good thing about Bell is he'll want to be playing good football before the World Cup. Yeah, he so will, he will. I think he will be motivated to play well for LAFC. Yeah. Um, looking at some of the transfers that happened that we discussed in football, who do you think is a better fit at Juventus, Pogba or Di Maria? Going off the last year, I'd probably say De- at least Di Maria has played more for PSG, but I'd say potentially Pogba. I think mm. central midfield is still an area that Juventus lack uh, a little bit of quality. If they can get Pogba anywhere near the f- Pogba that left them in terms of that box-to-box midfielder, Juventus don't really have that player at this stage. So yeah. I think if Pog- if they can get Pogba happy and playing, that could potentially be a really good transfer for Juventus, especially in that Juventus thing. So I do believe you've got a few options up front. Chiesa um, is coming back. Yeah. Um, you know, so I think... Demiro will fit in there, but I think Pogba could be the um, 
could potentially be a really good signing. Yeah, for me, Di Maria didn't make too, too much sense. Glad to have him, though. He's a great talent. But, yeah, I do see Pogba being a bit more impactful. So in the NBA, we've been seeing a lot of max deals happening, huge salaries being thrown around. So the Joker, Nikola Jokic, signed a deal worth $270 million. Now with add-ons and everything like that, he's probably sitting at, at about 50 to 60 mil guaranteed each year. So sports leagues across the world are seeing this type of money now for the top players. At what point is it going to stop? Are we going to see $100 million per year pretty soon? Well, I guess it, it's similar to when we were looking at football transfers. When we were, we were ever going to see 100 million euro transfers and 200 million euro transfers and look what happened to Neymar and 100 million euro transfers are almost the standard now. Yeah. Back in the day, 50, 60 was really expensive. That's now just for an ordinary player. So I can't see it stopping but just because of the amount of interest and sport garners and it's, it's worldwide with especially these big leagues and just the sponsorship dollars that are, that are put into these players. So you're probably right. It's probably going to only go up mm. as far as I can see at this stage, unless regulations are brought in where you must, you know, you're not be able to spend over this certain amount. But um, I don't see it stopping anytime soon. It's going to be crazy when we have athletes making just on salary alone, no no sponsorships or anything like Who's, that. Yeah. It's, it's, a, it's very... Definitely crazy times. And last crazy. one, in the AFL, we have a huge matchup this week. Carlton versus Geelong. Big top-of-the-table clash. Who are you going to back there? Well, I've said the, I've said the Cats are the potential winners this year, so I'm going to go the Cats. They were impressive over Melbourne. I know your Carlton had a good win over in the West. They were challenged there for a little bit, but kicked away. But I'm going to tip Geelong by 10 points. Oh, It'll yeah. be a tight one, but I, I Implications think, might, for either team I think Geelong well. might have a little one. Plus, it's a better result for the Swannies if they want to finish <laughs> in the top four. So uh, we'll see, but it should be a great game. Well, that brings to the end of another episode of Behind the Lights with me, Seb. And me, Jono. As always, thank you for your support and good night.